Welcome to the Ferris Love Podcast, where we share spiritual and practical ideas for how to live family life with a beautiful, self-sacrificing love. Today, we're talking about conflict in marriage with Doug Hinderer, a licensed marriage and family therapist. Welcome, Doug. Hello, Katie. Good to see you again. You too. We're excited to have you back this season. Um, if you've missed some of his previous episodes, go back and check out um, the various episodes he's been in in season two. Um, but today we're going to talk conflict in marriage is one of the things that people often uh, ask us to address for the podcast. So we thought we'd bring you back to talk about that. Cool. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, conflict is inevitable. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just, ever since Adam and Eve, uh, there's been conflict. And so, you know, you can't get away from it. And in fact, the research out there, John Gottman's research established that literally 69% of all conflicts in marriage cannot be solved. Wow. So literally, right? I mean, that's three out of, or seven out of 10. You're just going to live with that. And so, you know, you may as well find a way to bring, you know, make some lemonade out of those lemons because mm-hmm. just, it's just going to be there. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so, and a lot of people, they're afraid of conflict, right? Because well, I don't want to get in a big fight and then there's hard feelings and we yell at each other and nothing ever gets resolved. And then, you know, tense and then we don't talk to each other for a day a week or whatever um but conflicts can actually be a good thing if you look at them i think from the right perspective and so um you know that my first thought is that conflict is really a great opportunity to get to know your partner better Mm. because you know we we only get upset about the stuff we really care about Mm -hmm. right and so it really gives you an insight into what's important for your spouse, sure. right? So, I mean, if you throw out an old pair of socks with holes in them, your spouse isn't going to get too upset about it. Unless those were the socks that he wore when they won the basketball championship and they've got sentimental value, right? right. So it's like, ah, I didn't know socks with holes were important to you. Well, this pair is. Right. Or was, because now you threw them out. Um, so conflict gets you an opportunity to uh, get to know your partner better. And so we should kind of look at it and say, you know, rather than take it personal or have a strong emotional reaction, we should take a step back and say, okay, what's really happening? Mm. Why is my spouse really upset about this thing? What's going on beneath the surface? So that's the first thing. Look at it as an opportunity, really, to gather more data mm-hmm. about what's going on in your spouse's inner world. Yeah. Uh, second thing is, I mean, conflict is a great place to grow in virtue. Mm-hmm. And, you know, virtue can only be acquired and increased through struggle and self-conquest. Right. right? It's, you know, steel sharpens steel or iron sharpens iron, however that saying goes. Right. Um, but the deal of it is, I mean, we're here to grow in virtue. And our marriage and the conflicts we have with our spouse is a great place to acquire just about every virtue you can think of. You know, it's all, it's kind of all there in this microcosm in marriage. And, um, uh, you know, and so it's this opportunity to overcome our emotions for our intellect to take charge of our emotions. And, you know, I think marriage is a great place to grow in patience and humility and tolerance and sacrifice and detachment and, optimism and you know and this ability to accept our spouse's defects sure uh, and you know we, we we generally don't see those defects before we get married because you know we're infatuated and 
you know, and Aquinas said, listen, love can cause insanity because it, it can blind you to the truth, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're all in love, I can really blind you to the, to some of your, um, your future spouse's defects. But after you're married for a while, you find out what they are. And those defects are the fodder of growing in virtue. And so those defects are really a, a great thing, I mm -hmm. think. Um, and, you know, virtue is what produces real happiness for us, both here on earth and in heaven. And um, virtue really helps us resemble God, right? And admits us into his friendship. So um, anytime we get an opportunity to grow in virtue, I think it's some, there's a time we should grab. We should grab onto. So this is a great opportunity now to grow in patience or humility or charity or whatever. Detachment, right? Because now you threw out my socks with the holes and now I got to be detached from from my memory of that great championship game. Um, mm -hmm. And so these are great opportunities to grow in virtue and, and, and we don't want to, to lose those either. So I think, you know, virtue is, is a great thing that comes out of conflict in marriage. I think third thing we can talk about is Conflict really helps us increase our prayer life. Mm -hmm. You know, when things are going really well, we tend not to pray as much. You know, life is great. But all of a sudden, when things aren't going so well, uh, then we tend to turn to prayer more. Mm -hmm. And so that's a good thing. You know, we pray more in times of pain or sadness or hurt. Uh, and so conflicts in marriage can really kind of invigorate, breathe some new life into our prayer life. So. Um, you know, I think it's good to keep in mind that anytime our spouse causes us some pain, it's an invitation from God to unite our suffering with his cross mm. and, uh, you know, and, and to grow in virtue and practice forgiveness, et cetera. So I, I think, you know, suffering that we unite, that we unite to Christ's suffering becomes redemptive. So we're not just suffering uselessly. We don't have to anyway. We could, you know, we get angry and bitter and complain about it. Okay, that's kind of weird. But if we if we supernaturalize it, if mm -hmm. we unite it to Christ's cross, then that suffering becomes redemptive, not just for ourselves, but for our spouse, our children, whatever, right? And, mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, and I sometimes uh, when I'm working with uh, maybe just one of the spouses because the other one refuses to come in or doesn't want to work on it and, on the marriage and, and they're suffering a lot, I, I ask them, and it's a kind of rhetorical question, but perhaps not. So listen, you know, if God sent an angel down here and said to you, hey, yeah, your marriage is going to be really tough. Mm -hmm. But if you offer that all up to God in exchange for your suffering, every one of your children is going to make it into heaven. Mm. Would you, what would you say? Sure. Well, and every single person says, I'd say, bring on the suffering. I, there's yep. nothing I wouldn't suffer for my kids to spend eternity in heaven. And so the suffering that we endure, man, we can apply that to that intention. Mm -hmm. And then that suffering takes on an unbelievable value. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, okay, so A, conflict is a good opportunity to get to know your partner better. It's a good opportunity to grow in virtue. It increases our prayer life. And I think lastly, um, Conflict gives us an opportunity to practice forgiveness. Mm. And I don't know any place really in life where we get more opportunities to practice forgiveness than in marriage. Because we're married to a person with defects and we've got defects. And we're going to be hurt from time to time. And it's really important, I think, to keep in mind that forgiveness is not optional. Mm. Christ never said, you know what, forgive the ones you feel like. You know, or forgive the ones who apologize properly. 
Right. Or forgive the nice ones, but don't forgive the mean. You know, it was pretty clear. And I think in Matthew's gospel, I think to me, one of the most frightening passages in all of scripture is Matthew 6 chapter, where Christ says, if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your father forgive your transgressions. Mm-hmm. That's pretty scary, right? Because if, if we hold on to grudges, if we hold on to hard feelings, if we hold on to resentment, we're not going to get the forgiveness we need to get into. Mm-hmm. And I think if we really, you know, I don't, you know, how many times have you said the Our Father in your life? You know, 10,000, 100,000, a, mil- a million times. Yeah. Every time we say it, right, we say, hey, forgive us as we forgive others, right? And so every time we pray that, what we're telling God is, listen, if I don't practice forgiveness, I don't I don't want it either. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a pretty kind of scary thing. Yeah. It, it's making me think, too. I mean, we just we just wrapped up Holy Week. This, this is coming out during the Easter season. But, you know, even that, like one of Christ's last words on the cross is like, Father, forgive them. Right. Like yeah. they've done this horrible, horrible thing to me. It could almost be unforgivable because you're literally killing God. And he's like, forgive them. Right. Like yeah. showing us exactly what we have to do, even when it's really, really horrible. It's been really difficult. Tremendous. Even as they're spitting on him. Yeah. <laughs> It's just, and his whole, de- I mean, that's the whole reason he showed up was to bring forgiveness. I mean, that was the deal. Right. That was his whole thing. And how did he go about bringing forgiveness to us? It wasn't his death. It wasn't the shedding of his blood. It was his suffering. He took all that. Because if, listen, it was just the shedding of blood. He accomplished that on the circumcision. Mm-hmm. Right. If it was just his death. He could have accomplished that when Herod sent his soldiers to kill all of the the kids, the males under two or, or when they were going to stone him or throw him over hill. It was more than just his blood. It was more than just his death. It was his suffering that was so redemptive. And so we really shouldn't run away from suffering. We really should embrace it as he did. Now, easier said than done. I got right. it. You know what I mean, but we get a lot of opportunities to suffer and to forgive in marriage. And we don't want to pass up those opportunities to practice forgiveness. Now, and here's the important thing. You cannot attain reconciliation in your marriage without forgiveness. Mm. You can forgive without reconciliation. Just because you've forgiven your spouse doesn't mean you're going to reconcile, doesn't mean they're going to change, doesn't mean you're going to become a nice person. But there's no way you can reconcile without forgiveness first. Mm -hmm. And so it's the first step towards building or rebuilding a marriage that's really struggling, it's not in a good place, mm-hmm. is this forgiveness idea, okay? So there, there's the four reasons why conflict is a good thing. Right? It helps you know your partner better, helps you grow in virtue, increases your prayer life, and it gives you this unbelievably uh, great opportunity to practice forgiveness, which is the way we're going to, that's the currency I think we're going to purchase heaven with is our ability to forgive others. So. Mm-hmm. That's great. And I think too, an interesting point to that last one with forgiveness is like, it it takes time, like forgiveness is often a process. It's not just yes. saying, I forgive you, and it's done. Um, or something like that. Like, or it's sometimes it's not even just a decision of a moment. It's it's a decision multiple times that you have yeah, to be like, I forgive right. you. And now I'm now I'm angry again, and I'm going to forgive you again, or I'm going to, you know, like that this takes time. And that's a good thing to remember. That's a, that's a great point. And I've, you know, and I've worked with a few couples, you know, where there's been an affair mm. and that 
I've seen the healing happen. So I know couples can heal from that most disastrous of things, right? I mean, that's probably the worst thing you can do in a marriage um, or the most painful anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but I've seen the healing that's come from, but it's been a process. It hasn't been a, oh, okay, I forgive you, right? It's not like, oh, you backed my car into a light bulb. Okay, I forgive you. It's a bigger thing, right? Mm -hmm. I've also seen couples who haven't been able to practice forgiveness and it, it has resulted in, you know, in, uh, in a marriage that hasn't made it. So it's just this really core thing. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be there. You're going to get a lot of opportunities to practice it. Don't waste it. Don't squander the opportunity to forgive. There you go. Like pure oh, gold. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that, that's first thought. Um, mm -hmm. Second thought is that conflicts are usually more about the emotion that's getting triggered than it is about the facts of what we're arguing about. And I get, a lot of times couples get in these big fights about the facts. Well, it was Tuesday night. No, it was Wednesday night. No, it was Tuesday night. You know, we were in the living room. No, we were in the kitchen. It's like, doesn't matter. Yeah. So what happens is, and this is really kind of important, right? I want to talk about needs and fears a little bit. A man's greatest need is to be respected. Hmm. We need respect more than just anything else. And a woman's greatest need is to be loved. Okay. And I think that, that scripture goes back to Paul's early Ephesians, where he says, husbands, love your wives, wives, respect mm -hmm. your husbands. And, you know, here we are 2000 years later, we got research that says St. Paul was right. Well, duh. I mean, he was St. Paul, right? Mm -hmm. But he nailed it, right? Men really get triggered if they're feeling disrespected and women really get triggered if they're feeling unloved. Okay. Those are our needs, respect and love. And our fears, a man's greatest fear is failure. And a woman's greatest fear is abandonment, to be left alone. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a scriptural basis for that as well. I think if you go back to the Garden of Eden, you know, Adam's failure there, I mean, he failed before he ate the apple. He failed to protect his wife. She was in danger. She was in the presence of evil, of the serpent, and he didn't come to her defense, right? So I think when us men inherited original sin, part of that is this fear of failure, because it was Adam's failure that exposed Eve to the danger that then mm -hmm. she succumbed to, right? And then I think, so well, it's been fear of failure. And then abandonment for women. I think it goes back to the Garden of Eden too. I mean, God looked down at Adam and said, not good for him to be alone, mm -hmm. right? He needs a help mate. And so he created Eve. Her very basic job description was go help Adam, help him, mm -hmm. right? And so women, I think, have this, this inbred need to help. And when we push our wives aside and we say, I don't need you, or we don't involve them in what's going on, we leave them feeling lonely and abandoned. That's really very, very triggering for a woman. Hmm. I think that's interesting too, even going back to, you know, here's Adam failing to protect his wife. And then when God asks him, asks them like, what, what happened? He like abandons Eve and he's like, it's the woman you gave me. Like, <laughs> yeah, like right. exactly, right? And then right. here's Eve, like, oh, uh, it was a serpent, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. but you know, she's feeling abandoned by her husband because he's like, not me, right? Like it wasn't Good me. Protect her, and then he threw her under the bus. Yeah, and then he so, right. you know, the same kind of idea. And here she is like, oh. So yeah. right. Thanks a lot, Adam. I can call yeah, on exactly. you when I need you, right? That's yeah. an interesting, yeah. Inside. Yeah, so. Right. So that's the deal. So I think oftentimes when there's conflicts that arise between a husband and wife, what's what's at the core of it is the husband is not feeling respected mm. or he's feeling like a failure. He's feeling that he's not successful in the marriage. And the woman oftentimes is not feeling loved or she's not feeling a priority. She's feeling abandoned. She's not feeling like she's the center of her husband's life. Mm -hmm. 
So that is really what's going on. And it's really, you know, so conflicts escalate when I get emotionally triggered. All of a sudden, I'm feeling disrespected and I'm going to demand that you respect me. Mm. Or, you know, I'm not feeling like a priority. I'm feeling pushed aside. I'm going to demand that you pay attention. to me. I'm going to do it by raising my voice. I'm going to do it by saying some harsh things, perhaps. I'm going to do it by pointing out what's wrong with you. And you need to pay better attention to me. And you need to do this. And it's not at all about, you know, the conflict about, you know, where should we go for dinner or whatever it is. Right? Mm -hmm. um, and so what happens is, so then I protest. You're mm -hmm. not respecting me. You're not loving me. So it comes across as criticism. And then I'm going to get defensive. I want to protect myself. So I'm either going to defend myself. Or I'm going to shut down and go away because now all of a sudden talking to you has become dangerous. It's mm -hmm. now hurting me because you're saying hurtful things to me. I'm going to shut that down and go away. Um, or I'm going to double down and say, yeah, well, you think I'm bad. I'm going to tell you how bad you are because you're worse than I am. And it's all about this, this emotional trigger. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and so we've got to really take a step back and say, okay, what really is getting triggered here? Right? How am I feeling? How am I being hurt in this conversation? And what's my vulnerability here? Uh, and I think, listen, the most powerful thing that a man can say to his wife is, say it either verbally and behaviorally, is I love you. Mm -hmm. You are the most important thing in my life. Nothing will come before you. Mm -hmm. okay? And I, you know, with my, uh, <laughs> I could share a personal story. Feel free to edit it out if you'd like. <laughs> uh, but, you know, when my sons were teenagers and, you know, they started getting a little independent, sometimes a little sassy to, uh, you know, their mother, I would point out to them, I'd say, listen, sons, here's what you need to understand. Your mother is the most important thing in my life. Mm -hmm. If the house is on fire and I've only got time to save one person, mm -hmm. I'm pulling out your mother, not you. You literally will be a piece of toast. That's it. I don't right. even have to think twice, Right. Right. And they just need to know. And one of the greatest gifts you can give your children is for them to know that they come in second, mm -hmm. that your spouse comes sure. in first. Okay. And you will always have your spouse's back. So that's really important. So I love you. The most powerful thing a woman can say to her husband is, I trust you. Mm. That is really a powerful thing to say to your husband, because that's a very respectful thing. I respect mm -hmm. you. I trust you. And I'm not worried about you failing. Mm -hmm. I trust you. You're going to get it right. Now, that's a really, really hard thing for a woman to say because you're telling a person with defects and flaws that you trust them. Mm -hmm. And those defects and flaws are going to get in the way sometimes. And sometimes they're gonna, their husband's going to get it wrong. They're going to screw it up. And you're going to say, so, no, I trust you, knowing full well that every once in a while he's going to let you down in Mm -hmm. So that's a really hard thing to say, but it is the single most powerful thing a woman can say mm -hmm. to her husband. Okay. Interesting. And to clarify yeah. too, this doesn't mean that men don't need to hear sometimes I love you and that women don't have need to hear sometimes I trust you either, right? Correct. Like this, like that's it right. goes both ways, but this is more the men need to hear the I trust you and the women need to hear I love you, but they. Yeah, so that, that that's a really good point, right? And again, these things are on a continuum. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I might, you know, as a man, I might need 80% respect and 20% love. And the other guy might need 70, 30. Uh, my experience, I don't have any uh, hard evidence for this, but it's probably about 30% of the couples, they're reversed. Interesting. The husband is more triggered by a lack of love or by feeling abandoned and alone than the wife is. Mm -hmm. And the wife is more triggered by a need to be respected mm -hmm. and by a fear of failure than the husband. So, so it goes, you know, it, it, 
Nothing is one way or the other, but it could go both ways. So, but any, those four variables though show up in just about every single argument: lack of respect, lack of love, feel like a failure, feeling abandoned, and lonely. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so that's pretty cool. So there, there you go. Conflicts usually more about the emotions than they are the facts. And if you can soothe the emotions, you can generally calm the entire argument down. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's it. And then my last, my last point is, is that understanding your spouse is essential to being able to manage the conflict, right? Where's your spouse coming from? What is, we've got a saying in, in my profession, the problem isn't the problem. Mm. Okay. So I want to, I tell the story a lot, a couple I worked with a number of years ago. Um, they lived in the suburbs of Chicago. They both worked downtown. They rode the train together every morning, right? One morning, the husband comes in the kitchen to put his shoes on. The wife's backpack is on the chair. He takes the backpack, sets it on the floor, sits down on the chair. He's putting his shoes on. The wife walks in, sees the backpack on the floor, and loses her mind. <laughs> she got so angry at him that she wouldn't even ride the same train with him. I'm not saying wouldn't sit with him, took a later train. <laughs> wow. Now, how can you be that upset over just moving the backpack, right? And so what's really going on beneath the surface? Mm -hmm. And so that night, they actually ended up in my office, and we were talking about it. And she said, you know, I can't do anything right for this guy. He redoes everything I do. I can't put my backpack in the right place. He rearranged the silverware drawer because he didn't like where I put the knives and the forks. Mm. Everything I do, he comes in behind me and undoes it. Does it? Mm -hmm. So this had been building and building and building, right? And so, I mean, her deal was she was feeling, you know, I, I don't know, like a failure, right? So she's getting through a sense of failure. No matter what I do, it's not good enough for this guy. Right. right? Uh, and then it just it blew up with the backpack incident. Mm-hmm. And so it really is good to be able to take a step back and say, you know, what's really getting triggered here beneath the surface? Because it probably isn't about the backpack or it's not about the fact that I forgot to pick up the gallon of milk on the way home or whatever that is. So, so and I think the way to do that, the, the, the rule is seek first to understand before you seek to be understood. Hmm. Okay. So when the wife says to the husband, help me understand why you're upset about this. Help me understand why you think, you know, we shouldn't go on a vacation this year. Help me understand why, you know, you think that, you know, our son should be grounded for the weekend. Mm -hmm. Help me understand that. Well, when the woman says that, the wife says that to the husband, that treats him with a lot of respect. Okay, mm -hmm. I really want to know what you feel, how you feel about this, what you're thinking is. And it suggests he's really not a failure. He's got a pretty good head on his shoulders. And we came up with an idea. Mm -hmm. or he's got an opinion, it's probably pretty valid. I'd like to hear about that. Sure. And if the husband says to the wife, I want to know how you feel about this, man, that's a loving way to treat her. And it really goes right to her job description to be the helpmate mm -hmm. to the husband. How can, you know, let me help you. Let me tell you how I feel about this because mm -hmm. together we can get to a better place. And so this idea of seek first to understand before you seek to understand, there'll be plenty of time afterward for you to give your opinion about. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put you first in your opinion. That's a really powerful way to express respect and love. Okay. And so some of the questions are, you know, just basically, can you help me understand why you feel the way you do? Right? Why is this important to you? Why do you care where the backpack is? Right. Why is that important to you? Um, is this tied to a childhood memory you've got, or is this tied to a dream you've got about the future? Mm -hmm. Um 
I had a, 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 a couple I was, I was uh, working with, um, and they got in a big argument in the kitchen, and she was standing in the doorway, and she was really letting him have it, and he was sitting at the kitchen table, and every time he tried, tried to get a word in, she cut him off, and she just kept going. And finally, he got upset, and he hit his fist on the, on the table. and said, will you please listen to me? Well, when his fist hit the table, she burst into tears, ran out of the kitchen, locked herself in a bedroom, didn't come out the rest of the day. Well, again, the problem isn't the problem, right? So what happened? And so that night, they ended up in my office, and, and um, I said, explain to me, what, what was that all about? She said, listen, my husband is a gentle guy. I don't, I'm not worried that he would ever hit me or get physical. But when his fist hit that table, I went back to being a six-year-old girl mm. when my mom and dad got in a big fight. And my dad's fist hit the table right before he picked my mother up and threw her into a wall. Wow. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I was a six-year-old frightened girl who ran and mm -hmm. hit me. And so a lot of times, you know, these conflicts we get into, they're triggered by a past memory, something that I have to do with right now. Right? Yeah. So help me understand what was going on. Why was this tied to something that happened in your childhood? Or do you got some big dream about, you know, about our life together and how we're going to grow? Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. So it really helped me, helped me understand, right? And then the last point I'll make uh, is when it's your turn to talk, it's always good to start with, with your feelings. Leave with your feelings. So I felt unsafe. I felt frightened. I felt unloved. I felt abandoned. I felt disrespected. I felt like a failure. I felt worried, scared, frightened. This is how I was feeling when this thing happened. Ah, well, you know what? I really love you, and I don't want you to feel like that. Right. You know, and boy, if I did something that left you feeling frightened or abandoned or unloved, I, I'd like to change that. Mm -hmm. and, and so if you can lead gently with how you were feeling, a lot of times we can get a lot of these conflicts resolved uh, pretty quickly and without a whole lot of trouble. So that makes sense. Do you, when it's, I would say kind of these smaller conflicts that we're talking about, backpacks, throwing out socks, whatever, some of the smaller ones. Um, and you mentioned early on that, you know, people are conflict averse, basically don't want to like get into this, like, how do you first even start having these conversations, right? Like to be able to manage, like, do you have them in the moment? Like that backpack's on the floor and you're like, bam, I feel, yeah. or is this, do you wait? Like, how do you yeah. start? Yeah, yeah. This? yeah. You know, when I, when I do my workshops, I spend a, a whole hour on conflict mm -hmm. management and, mm -hmm. and help give them some skills. Yeah. But the, the formula that I teach and it, people don't like formulas, but it really works. It's a three part thing, but it starts off with, the phrase, I feel, then you label your emotion. I felt frightened, worried, scared, whatever, when you, and then you talk about what your spouse did, right? So mm -hmm. I felt uh, worried when you came home an hour late and didn't call. Mm -hmm. okay? And then the ask. So I feel when you, and I'd like to ask you to please. I'd like to ask you to please call if you're going to be, you know, more than 15 minutes late. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. I can do that. Right. Um, and so by using that formula, starting off with, I feel and then going to what your spouse did, that generally protects their need for respect and love. Hmm. and doesn't trigger their feelings of failure or abandonment. Um, and so that's the magic formula, really. I feel when you, mm. and I like to ask you to please. And do it gently, you know. So um, right. Because I, listen, rare is the person who wakes up in the morning thinking, how can I hurt my spouse today? Oh, I, that's, I'll go do that first, right? 99 times out of 100, when we do something that hurts this person who we love and we've pledged our entire life to, it's not intentional. 
right? So backpack guy didn't say, hey, how can I really start my wife's day off bad? Oh, I know. I'll move that backpack. <laughs> oh, that'll get her. That's not, you know, he was just looking for a place to sit on and put his shoes on, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, you know, the guy with his fist on the, on the table, he was just frustrated. You know, he was just, mm-hmm. what, how can I scare my wife? That's the one we're trying to do. He's just trying to talk. Sure. And so um, the idea is I, I want to be the perfect husband. I want to be the best husband on the planet. And if I'm doing something that hurts you, I'd like to know about it so I can stop it. And if you can do that in a way that treats me with respect, that doesn't make me feel like a failure, mm-hmm. that lets me know I'm loved and I'm not abandoned, I'm important. If you can tell me that and protect those four things, I'm going to listen to that all day long because, by golly, I want to get it right. I mean, I didn't marry you to ruin your life. <laughs> I married you to make you and me happy. Right. And if we're getting that wrong, I sure would like to be able to talk. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And do you find that that same formula, I feel when you, I'd like to ask, works for the bigger conflict type things sure. too? The affairs, the whatever, addictions, the whatever that are yeah. larger. It does. Yeah, it does. Uh, um, the, you know, the bigger issues obviously take more time to talk through and mm-hmm. to heal because they're, they've got a deeper core and the, the pain is deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, that, that formula works no matter what the, uh, what the problem is. Um, the, the challenge is in the forgiveness piece. Mm-hmm. The bigger the thing, the harder it is to forgive, I think. But, sure. um, but I've seen some wonderful examples of some tremendously bad things that were forgiven and couples able to move on and do some great things. So, mm-hmm. That's great. Um, any last words of wisdom or takeaways you want you want our listeners to hear before we sign off today? I, I you know the, the I think the bottom line is just because you've got conflict in your marriage doesn't make it a bad marriage. You know, you can still have a good marriage even though you're gonna have conflict because we all do. We all have conflict, mm-hmm. and sometimes we're like, oh man, no, it's got to be bad because oh, oh, we argue, we fuss and fight. Yeah, everybody does. It's okay. It's mm-hmm. okay. Um, you know, it, it, you could still have a good, very good marriage, even if there's a lot of things you fuss and fight about and mm-hmm. don't, you know, look, try to fix it, right? Mm-hmm. Have the gentle conversation. I feel when you, I like to ask you to please, if you can fix it, great. If you can't, well, it's part of that 69% that isn't going to get solved. And that's a blessing too, because that's how you're going to grow in virtue, develop your prayer life and practice forgiveness. That's a really good thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, even the bad stuff in marriage can really be good if you supernatural. This is great. Um, if people want to learn more about you or find some of the things or hire you to come and speak, how can they get a hold of you? Happymarriageforlife.com. Uh, that's my website. I, I'm a little embarrassed. I haven't updated it in a little while, but you can get my contact information there and, and um, find out when I'm doing my uh, virtual workshops. And uh, I do a virtual workshop on uh, for engaged couples, couples thinking about getting uh, engaged, very skills-based, very practical. Uh, and then I do one for married couples that I call Marriage Tuna. And uh, so it's just, they're three and a half hours on a Saturday morning. And you can log in from anywhere in the world, actually. Great. Love it. Cool. Okay, we will, we'll link to that in the show notes as well so people can find you. Um, but thank you so much Doug, for joining us today and talking about conflict in marriage. Hopefully this is very helpful to a lot of our listeners. I always love being here, Katie. Thanks so much for the invitation. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ferris Love Podcast. If you enjoyed it, there are a few quick things you can do to support us. 
Share this episode with a friend, subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, or visit us at ferrisloveshrine.org.